You're listening to the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. No nonsense, just a crazy mix of life, business, the funny, and of course we're going to talk about your money. But just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the Haney Company Financial Guy Show. And I am as always, excited with the the wonderful guests I get to have, especially this one, Trevor Mitchell, my good friend. How are you today? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, I'm glad we could make this happen, and uh, I'm excited for our conversation because you know it's it's one that you and I have had in our you know in our professional circles a lot. So it, it'll be good to kind of bring it into this this sphere. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I enjoy our conversations and I'm excited to share this with others. Me too. But before we can do that, we have the hardest part of every episode, um, the part that makes most people sweat. So let's get that out of the way because then, you know, the rest of our our time together is going to be a lot easier. So we got to start with critical questions that everybody needs to know. The first one being, what food will you not eat under any circumstance? (laughs) Liver. I just, my family cooked it as a kid. I just, I can't, I can't do it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's come up at least once or twice before. Is it a texture thing? Is it a flavor thing? Is it a both? What what is it for you? I think for me, it's a combination of flavor and just as a kid, the connotation of just knowing that it was liver. um, I just, my brain just won't, won't get out of it. It just was like, nope, this is liver and you're not supposed to like it. And so therefore I think I just have a mental block around it, a mental bias, if you will. Okay. Very cool. All right. I like it. You, at least, at least you get it and you know why, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. For, for me, it's, it's definitely insects. And, uh, and since I've mentioned that to a few friends, I, I now have a small uh, cadre of folks that I think are going to try to trick me into partaking somehow at some point so I'm, i've got my radar up i gotta be be super mindful of people offering me fun treats uh particularly chocolate covered grasshoppers yep, yep which several several people have said yeah it's great i'm like it's a grasshopper i don't care <laughs> <laughs> it could cure cancer and i still wouldn't have it all no, right i get it you are a superhero, but oh. in in like the Marvel-esque realm of superheroes or DC, whichever side you want to be on, if you could be a superhero in that capacity, what superpower would you want to have? I think for me, it would be the one of um, in- intelligence in terms of being able to solve complex problems. I, I always really resonated with both Iron Man and Bruce Banner of the Hulk, like just how they the way their brains thought and how they were looking at ways to create positive impact for humanity. Um, It wasn't something that was a physical strength, but being able to do that and create meaningful impact would be, um, I think, extremely valuable and something I would uh, enjoy possessing to be able to give back. I love that. Yeah. And those are some of those kind of like under the radar things when you really think about it holistically in terms of, oh my gosh, like that is like super world changing, not just being able to fly around and do cool things, which I think that's probably what I like, but you know, anyway, um, that's great. All right. Would you rather visit underwater, like the depths of the ocean and all that craziness or outer space? Oh, outer space for sure. Uh, I think it goes back to just my love of star Wars and star Trek. Um, Maybe that's over fantasizing what we have, but I always was curious about like what Mars would be like and getting to the moon. And so just being able to explore uh, Saturn, if I could get to Saturn, like to me, that seems amazing. So um, outer space for sure, even though I do love the water, um, I think I would go outer space. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I think, I think I'm transforming my, I'm trying to transform my thinking in both of these domains because they both at least seem a little daunting to me. And maybe it's just because I've seen too many shark movies and then too many outer space movies where they like float off or something implodes and you're like, Oh, that, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, as, as much as anyone, I love star Wars and all of that stuff. So, all right, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do some cognitive reframing. <laughs> Brilliant. 
All right. Last but not least, besides this one, of course, everyone's favorite. What other podcasts would you recommend somebody take a listen to that you've enjoyed? So um, first, I'm not a huge podcast listener. And I say that because a lot of times podcasts for me are challenging to keep my focus. Um, And so it's definitely something I've been working to utilize in airports and that kind of thing. So with that said, the one I have been enjoying the most right now, it's another industry one. And TSAE, Texas Society of Association Executives Podcast, is better by association. Um, I love hearing how the different perspectives we get, whether it be a CEO, industry partner, uh, the focus on women in associations that we did earlier this year after our Women Summit. Just hearing um, those different perspectives and the way they they go about it, uh, I think is is really valuable, and it's what's leading me into wanting to hear more podcasts in particular. So um, I have the opportunity to participate in those, but it's definitely one that I just like hearing directly from other association professionals and ones that we don't hear a lot from. Yeah, I think that that's great. And I, I, I obviously share that same affinity and, and I always just, I do, we're very fortunate in, in that association community space. Like there's just so many wonderful thought leaders. Some, some that are are more visible or maybe more well known, but but a lot like you mentioned that maybe you wouldn't hear otherwise. But there's just yeah, man, there's just so much great stuff, wisdom, insight, and uh, yeah, I, I, that's why I love getting the chance to go to all the meetings that we get to go to and just listen and be like, oh my gosh, you're doing that? That sounds unbelievable. Exactly. Exactly. And um, what I like about those, to your point, is they may not get to those other conferences like that you and I get to. And so it's just another voice that we get to add. And I feel like from a diversity of thought perspective, the more voices we hear, the better off we are. And it just those kinds of podcasts really elevate um, the individuals in our profession uh, worldwide that we may not get to see in other areas. Yeah, no, I, I, and I totally agree. And it it is it's it's. It's great, especially anytime we can get our, our, our minds expanded, our paradigms kind of rattled a little bit and, and you know, we can grow that way. It's, it's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all right, let's let's open things up. And why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? What 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 part of your story do you want to share first? <laughs> um, and I can fill the whole podcast with just this question alone. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so. Um, let me give you the kind of the the quick background. What I, th- I always think, at least I think is interesting for, about myself is, um, and with anybody, is kind of knowing where they came from. And I think what makes me passionate about being in the association management profession um, stems from how I grew up. Um, I grew up in a very small community, uh, farm community, if you will, um, of 150 people in um, I was taught at a very early age through my parents, my grandparents, the importance of volunteering and giving back. And it just was second nature. And it was through those experiences that led me um, to find my career in associations, that uh, that servant leadership piece, that ability to impact other people, work with other people is what resonated me to this profession. And it's how um, I have continued to focus my efforts. I, I I feel that associations are here to identify the problems and needs of members and help them to find solutions. And I think we who are in this um, industry who do this as a profession, that's what we do. And for me, that, that's been there since birth. And um, it's something I hold dear to my heart in everything that I do. And I'm thankful for that. But um, to start, that's a little bit about myself that a lot of people don't know um, or realize why it impacts me so much. I love that. And I, I, it gives me more more insight into why we have we have some pretty good synergy because I know while I, I didn't have that upbringing, my my I would say my dad definitely did as a as a as he likes to say a Midwestern farmer. Mm-hmm. It's kind of his bent and yeah, I, I, so I, I appreciate that same kind of upbringing because that's certainly you know what we had at our family. Um, and yeah, it is. It's just that sense of, you know, if you're a part of the community, then you invest in the community and that in the, the community's well-being is something you can't separate yourself from and you shouldn't, you know, and, right. and having that 
ability to to say, all right, what do we need to do to make an impact so we can all do well together? Uh, yeah, that's that's huge. That's awesome. 150 though. That's uh Yes. It's it's um so I graduated with a class of twenty-three. Um, and that's because it took up half of the county. And um it just that's just how we were. And I will say I won't trade it um for a thing. I loved how I grew up. Um, but I'm definitely much more of a an urban individual now. I enjoy going home. I enjoy seeing my family. I enjoy remembering where I came from and what that taught me, but I also know I'm where I'm supposed to be and that that's okay. And that that's what we all need to find our journeys and it may lead us in different paths, but I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be, but that's what helped me to get where I am and to be able to accept that. No, that's great. Yeah. I, th- I mean, our lives are, it's like they're seasons, right? Seasons of life. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Yeah, we're not allowed to start singing show tunes, though. I know I'm, I'm, I'm like starting to lean that way. So <laughs> that'd be a whole different but podcast, then. It, it, it would, and, and possibly one that would lose some listenership, depending on how well it turned out. So I just, uh, as a total personal aside, because we were, we were enjoying uh, a neighbor's wedding, and uh, then the reception had some karaoke, and 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 I like karaoke on some level. But it's always kind of like it, it really just depends on the circumstances, right? And yet uh, it was it was a lot of fun, and uh, and my wife and I sang together a couple of times, and it was yeah, it was cool. It was a cool little moment. But yeah. uh, anyway, probably not 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 for this. Certainly not for this episode. So so <laughs> our audience can rest uh, and be relieved. But your daytime job is to me probably one of the coolest that I can, <laughs> that I can think of, especially in the association. I do know you have some of the best conference stories, but I won't, I, we, we don't have enough time for that. And, um, but I do want to know, tell us what it's, what is it like running an organization like Mensa? So it's extremely challenging in the best way possible. And I say that because for those who aren't familiar with Mensa, um, it's an organization, member, individual member organization for those who score in the top 2% of an IQ test. Um, so we've been around for over 60 years. We're nationally based. Um, what's interesting to know is my members, uh, my youngest member is about three. And my oldest is about 106 and fall everywhere in between. And we make up every industry and profession that's out there. Um, what we focus on is creating a social environment where people feel um, that they can find their peers, their their own, feel accepted for who they are and how their brains work, um, which is not always um, looked on positively within general society as a whole, and ways where they can be able to stimulate their intellect um, beyond what they can find. And sometimes just being able to be around others and just go really deep into a topic is is what they do. So um, we function very much like a, a regular association with membership and benefits and non-dues revenue and all that conferences and stuff. But where we differ is we don't have um, the ability to really connect with a particular um, supplier market because we make up everything. You know, everybody's looking for their ROI. How, how do they really connect <laughs> with that? Um, it's also uh, challenging us to look at ways to do different things. And so the I say working for Mints is challenging the best way possible because it not only requires us to think outside the traditional boxes of what associations have to do, um, but it allows us to look at how do how do we do this? And you know, one of the things that one of the stories I always like to tell, um, because I think it's so passionate, is watching um individuals and at one time there was this this girl who was 10 years old who um came up to us and she's like i think i think i might belong and we said okay and so we talked to her about it a little bit and she goes um we explained what the organization was she's like oh my gosh um i i really want to know more about it and so sent the information to her parents and she joined and she goes i finally feel like i have found my my community i, I feel normal for the first time in my life and that's extremely powerful to help people find a community where they feel that way. So it's extremely rewarding. We don't always get those kinds of stories in association work, um, but being able to know that 
this person feels as if though they have been seen and accepted um, is, is really rewarding. Even dealing with all the bureaucracy of budgets and board meetings and committee meetings and everything else. So um, that's uh, what it's like and from a nutshell, in my opinion, working for an organization full of people who score really high on IQ tests. What a sense of community where I'm sure uh, there's probably, you know, a healthy number of members that, you know, it's not even about their personality so much. They are in clearly a, an intellectual category to itself. And, and I imagine that that comes with more challenges than it does benefits at times, especially when your brain has capabilities and maybe you're wired to be thinking in ways that just a lot of other people in your social spheres don't, that can just be a challenging experience in general. So I imagine that, yeah, it, it, that's got to be a pretty fun kind of camaraderie dynamic. It is. It's, it's interesting watching them come together um, at our, at our events, see how they've created this community um, I've watched individuals meet and be, get married and have kids in in this society. Um, it's also interesting to watch them navigate and as an association professional, being able to to challenge some of their thinking. Um, you know, a lot of them grew up being the smartest person in the room. And then whenever they get to this situation where they're more on an equal footing with everybody else, um, it's a different environment. So how do they how do you navigate that and how do, how do you help them do that? One of the things that I had to learn very quickly is because of how their brains work and they have always been typically good at solving problems, it's helping them understand that at a board level, our job isn't always to solve the problem. It's to identify the problem, figure out who needs to solve it within the organization. And they really, they like to dive deep. And I have to, there's times I have to remind them like, our job's not to solve it right now because they'll peer a piece and they'll go down, they'll just go down a rabbit hole really, really deep. And so I, I watch and watch their brains and I watch how they all kind of come in and like, they, you see that this is what they excel at is solving problems. Um, and, but challenging them from a government standpoint of let's raise this up. And they're all skills and things that they can actually apply in other parts of their life where they're not always interacting with people who have high IQs like they do. And that's a really good example to kind of build on because you know and so so for for me personally as somebody who is neurodivergent and and has had you know challenges dealing with with what that looks like certainly growing up where um i think the best way to describe my experience of it as a as a child was just probably pretty common it was kind of like didn't really know what we were dealing with we're going to throw a prescription at you and hope for the best Right. But it was also a scenario which I think is very common in, in not just specific to certain like definable neurodivergence. I imagine this probably broadens out, you know, to to your membership and and kind of beyond things that are, we'll say, boxed up, so to speak, or definable. But but we're just recognizing like people's brains can operate very differently mm-hmm. and not having that be a, a stigma or, you know, placing someone in a box, so to speak, and and almost expecting certain capabilities as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just realizing it's like, no, it's just different. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not better or worse. It's just different. There's beauty in that. Mm-hmm. And then how do we all get that, you know, get into a, a dynamic where, where we bring our differences together so we can all thrive? Um, and so that's just... Yeah, I mean that's that's got to be this really interesting, awesome, but yes, challenging dynamic. You know, I, I I'm, I'm married to someone who's wired so differently, and and like especially even as as you know in, in our relationship and still growing and coming to more terms and better understanding of myself. She's like, you know, man, like all of the stuff that used to piss me off. And now I'm really starting to realize and understand like, it's this, it's your ADHD. It's like, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm not a jerk, but my brain just doesn't behave the way you expect it to. And I, I get it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and that, I mean, that's a lot of what we see um, in because of how their brains work differently and how they developed as a child. 
there may not have been opportunities for them to even develop what we consider more social norms. And so, yeah. you know, that's part of what they enjoy about the organization is they're not being judged for that because a lot of the others around them were in the suburb space, um, but also figuring out how to be more cognizant and clear whenever they need um, need specific instruction. So for example, there's one member who definitely does not recognize social cues. And it was very hard for me as someone who is, is I, want, I don't want to say nurturing per se, but definitely more in tune with how the other person is responding and making sure they feel comfortable and included that at the end of the conversation, I would have to simply say, we're done talking now. And I have to go over here to handle X situation and you can go somewhere else, but you can't follow me. Like that was really hard for me, but he recognized that he, he didn't pick up on social cues. That would be like, yeah, we're naturally ending. It's great talking to you. He would just follow me in those conversations. And so um, once I realized that, and I realized that I wasn't delivering it in a way that he thought was negative. It was more of, he needed that information. Um, really opened my eyes to the whole notion of understanding someone means you can create situations where you are very respectful of each other, but do things that allow you all to understand it. And so just navigating that has helped me be, I think, a better person because I'm more aware of those around me and what cues I'm giving and what I'm not giving and what that they may need may not be the same as everybody else. And so it's just, it's an interesting dynamic to, to think about and how I can apply it um, and utilize those opportunities with everybody else I uh, interact with. Well, and, and even just what you described to me is like this wonderful leadership Petri dish mm-hmm. of just, you know, live fire. Here's what emotional intelligence and, and a lot of the things that are critical skill sets to, to develop uh, just are, you know, I mean, you, you don't, you, it's kind of like you don't even have a choice. Well, I guess you, you could theoretically have a choice and not do very well, but, but, you know, it, it is, it's, it's a pretty um, interesting place to be, to have that to develop it and, and then to, you know, allow that to be so formative that again, you you know, obviously in, in the in the uh, leadership space and in the, uh, the broader association community can bring all of that, the benefit of that experience to bear. Because yeah, that is something that, especially I think when you get into social leadership, uh, organizational leadership, and all that kind of stuff, you know, sometimes it's it's I think people more naturally lean into personality and influence which is fine at times, but don't always necessarily have that same capacity to recognize, you know, if somebody is not wired the same way I am, I can't expect certain things that I have for myself as normal from everybody. And and that's okay though, you know, but, exactly. but I got to develop that, that ability to, to recognize that's got to be really, really, you know, helpful. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you, you're constantly feeling like you're just getting additional ways to expand and change and shift and pivot. I, I do. And it, it's also really ex, uh, interesting to really watch how my interactions evolve and change with different individuals and how I'm learning to be able to navigate that as I continue on in my life. And I think that's something as um, association professionals, we should be doing regularly is that constant self-awareness, um, self-assessment, and finding ways to continue to in- improve um, and evolve, maybe even incrementally. And I look for those ways in working with my board, with my members of how I do that, because I'm in this situation where I'm dealing and interacting with individuals who have unique um, situations that I may not encompass on in any other form or facet. And so I, I'm taking advantage um, of this opportunity to be a better human myself. I love that. And, and, I, and so I want to kind of build onto this into a broader conversation. Again, something, you, you know, you and I have connected on in the area of diversity, equity, inclusion, um, and, and kind of take this conversation to that arena. But I want to start by kind of recognizing maybe some current day trends. I think 
Um, it's probably safe to say this, that, that you know, practitioners and, and really, I guess, the current state of diversity, equity, inclusion, I guess, DEIA, if we, if, you know, depending on however, whatever words we're putting together to kind of define this, um, has, has, let's just say, hit a few roadblocks of late. Um, and, and I guess I'd love to just hear your perspective on some of the pivotal things that I guess you see that are going on um, that, you know, all of us probably need to be engaging in on some level. Yeah, um, it's a really good question. And it's actually something I was just speaking about last week with ASA's Next Gen program. Um, something that came up in their essays as, as a topic area and as one of the facilitators, this was something I I not only raised my hand, but was enthusiastically like, yes, let me let me lead this conversation uh, because there are a lot. I think one of the biggest things that we have seen is the, the rise and the fall of the importance of DEIA plus um, within organizations. And it, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons I believe that that's the case. And I think as associations, we need to first identify it to figure out how to move forward. The first being, there was a lot of call to action, a lot of ramping up our efforts during the pandemic, whenever we saw the murder of George Floyd, um, people creating um, and having racist statements against um, the Asian American Pacific Islander community about them being the ones bringing the virus around the world. Um, the impact on the LGBT community, particularly transgender individuals. Um, we saw these groups that have been very vocal and advocate, advocating for themselves and their rights for decades see more prominence because we had an opportunity to really sit and listen. We didn't have the travel, the the distractions everywhere else that didn't make us take the time and think about humanity as a whole. Um, and so that created an opportunity. But what we have also seen, in my opinion, is DEIA fatigue. Um, associations are now getting to the point of, like, we're doing this work, but is it really making an impact? We're getting members who are pushing back, saying we're doing too much around DEIA, or it's um, we're too woke if you will. And that is, that's really challenging when we think about, you know, how do we do this? How does, how as leaders do we really quantify where we're going with that? And I think that's, that's a huge challenge facing associations. I think one that we can actually address and, and lean into um, as terms of a solution. Um, and the other thing I think that associations are struggling with, uh, and Brian, you kind of hinted that in your question, there is so many different ways that we talk about it, combinations of letters. Do people talk about inclusion versus belonging? Do you do both? Do you do access? Does your A stand for access or accessibility or both? Um, some of the words like diversity, because it's been the longest word we've used for so long. People are using it, in my opinion, to weaponize from a negative standpoint. I mean, one of the things I've been hearing um, recently on uh, the ASA's DNI committee is, should we focus more on talking about people's identities rather than diversity, which we're, we're just talking about looking at it from different ways, but using terminology to help us. But if we're all talking, it's, it's going to be hard for us to ever say, here's a single definition to use, even though the dictionary defines these things. But when we relate them to our organization, what do we mean? And how do, how do we have meaningful conversations around it? People get so hung up on the terminology that it prevents them from going anywhere further in the conversation. So there, these are the things I see facing associations. I see leaders challenged with being able to take these things and be able to say, here's the real impact we're making and how it's playing out in the future. And they're they're starting to, I won't say lead into, but they're definitely taking a step back at some of the efforts I've done. And it's going to be have negative consequences in the future if they continue to do that effort. No, and, and, I mean, I think you laid that out beautifully and, and, you know, especially, you know, the concepts of fatigue, the concept of language communication. And I think, yes, certainly um, the weaponization and, and frankly, politicization of things that 
you know, are, are being talked about in a manner, in a divisive manner, when you actually step away from that and you peel back kind of the layers, you realize that, that this isn't something that's divisive. It's actually something intended to create better social frameworks, better organizational frameworks, better workplace frameworks, and, and to, to allow us to be better people together. That's, you know, if, if I have an idealistic unicorn kind of way of describing it, that's what it's about. How do we all just do life together better and more effectively recognizing that whether it's brain differences, demographic differences, language, there's just, there's just differences. Right. But it's the differences that will actually make us better when we're able to have an environment that allows us to do that. And, but it's, yeah, it, it is challenging, you know, just to see parts of that taken agendas. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not new, unfortunately. Um, but it, it, it's certainly uh, something that I think is now an additional barrier for leaders to feel like they have to press through when, yeah, there was, there seemed to be a good kind of healthy trajectory. And now it's, uh, it doesn't feel that way now, I'm pretty sure. Right. Well, and I think where association execs are, are challenged in this notion is not having a good sense of where things are actually going um, trend-wise within our country. And predictions I've looked at most recently, um, and they're predicting between 2045 and 2050 that at that point there will be no more racial majority in our country based off of birth rates, based off of um, growing demographics. The Hispanic Latina, Latino Latina uh, demographic is actually the largest growing one um, without um, them. Um, we actually would see a decline within the U.S. population overall over the next 20 years. But we're also seeing more multi-racial um, individuals coming in, and they're selecting where they are. And so understanding that from our, it's not about race in particular, but it's about the changing nature of humanity around us. And race is just one aspect of who a human being is. But these are the people who are looking for the voices. And what we saw during the pandemic with those individuals raising their voices to be heard. If associations aren't hearing them now, they're going to go off and do their own thing. Um, we've seen it in a lot of other associations prior to pandemic, um, large associations. The American Bar Association is one where I've seen, talk to people who are members of the Latino uh, Bar Association, the Asian American Bar Association. So they've created these subgroups because they needed a, an organization where they felt seen, where they felt heard, and they could connect with their peers. We're going to see more of that splintering as associations if we don't figure out how to help them not only feel included, but represented and that their voices are being integrated and heard at the same level as everybody else around them. That's what that's really what's going to come down to because the nature of the businesses, the natures of the industries, they're naturally going to change. It's a long game. Um, a lot of these, I don't think I'm going to see much of those have those significant shifts until the end of my career, just based off my age now, where I will be at 2050. But we, it, it's going to happen, and we have to look at those long trends. And if that doesn't scare an association to think about why it's impactful to be working on these things now, and by now you're already behind the, the curve as it is, we need to be thinking about how do we ramp up our efforts because it's about people feeling about it's it's about decent human being and humanity and we lose sight of that and i what scares me the most is over the next year as we enter this next election cycle how politicians on both sides of the aisle are going to continue to weaponize these things to create fear as opposed to talk about how do we create come together as a country to solve and address the needs of our citizens. That's the biggest thing that I see happening. And it then we see that spread into our association specifically. And yes, that's, that's my thoughts on it. Um, my little soapbox, if you will, but I, I see this can go one or two ways and I'm fearful with the way things are going that we're going to see more people pulling back on DEIA efforts than actually moving forward on them. 
No, I, I mean, I, I share that sentiment, uh, you know, as, as a native Washingtonian, somebody that's been had a front row seat to politics my whole life. It is it, I, it hurts my heart to see the state of it now. And, and it's, you know, I'm not I won't ever do a broad brushstroke over politicians because I, I, I know enough of them and, and think that in general, you know, we've got a good electorate that wants to do the right thing in representing their constituents. But it, it, it is, there is just clearly too much fear-based politics because we understand one thing, fear drives voter turnout. And that's what elections are about. And, and that's an unfortunate approach to have to take, or, well, I guess you don't have to take it, but it's an unfortunate po- approach that I think people take too often because it is, you know, the path to, uh, you know, the results that they're, they're looking for. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a challenging climate because a lot of times I think I've heard from other people in general and people in our, our, our spheres and community and just, those that are that are involved in, you know, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and really just, you know, creating better environments for belonging and for people who are a member mm-hmm. to have a great membership experience. That's what that's what I think is is the real truth, right? Yes. If if we're leading well, we need to be creating great experiences for as many people as possible. Not a, you know, a certain traditional group or few or this or that, but, you know, let's create a great experience for everybody and, and recognize that maybe the experience that we currently have then needs to improve if we are going to have other people also have a good experience. Right. Because then it doesn't have to be so in and out or this or that, you know, we can really focus on this, this overall goal of that dynamic, which I think, you know, it cuts through a lot, but it's, it, it's tough. Yes. It's tough. And the purpose of associations, the the whole nature of why we exist is because as humans, we want to connect with other individuals who have a shared interest or passion. That is that is the fundamental reason why associations have were formed and exist. It started with the guilds back in um, Europe. And as they transferred over, they moved into more specific professions or industries. And so as individuals are wanting to be more successful and take passion in the work that they're doing, the association has an opportunity and, in my opinion, an obligation to create those environments where people feel welcome, they feel safe, they can fully contribute, and they feel that they are integrated in it. It goes back to your point of having solid member experiences. It's about helping them feel like they are part of that community and that they can share that community's voice. They don't have to have the same political ideology. And I mean, sometimes that does come into to play in some associations, but it's more about how do they come together within that industry to create meaningful change and, and powerful change that impacts the work that they're doing. That's that's why we exist. And to me, that's at the heart of what DEIA is. But we have so many barriers that have been put in place over the years. We have to work to bring them, break them down and rebuild up what should be in place so that everyone has equitable, equal access, and it it is feeling as though they are part of that organization, not just someone looking in from the outside. Yeah. And and I, and I also feel like to your point that frankly, the association space, this, this community actually has uh, an advantage when it comes to being able to innovate or 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 lead or or do things because it it may represent an industry but it's not necessarily the industry it represents or the community so i think the association community in general has 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 a wonderful it's always got a wonderful opportunity to do things that might be harder to do in other in other spheres um what would you you know say for leaders that are feeling fatigue what are the things that we're going to need to be doing now to help keep encouraging one another to keep going what are what are some of the things that we should be thinking about so i think what we need to think about is take it take a moment and take a take a step back in terms of remembering why 
we do this work to begin with, why we do association work, but also why we focus on DEIA and why that's important to, to the fundamental piece of it. Because we go back to the whole purpose of we're here to serve the members of the profession. It doesn't say we're here to serve the white members. It doesn't say we're here to serve the male members. It's We're here to serve all members of this profession. And going back to saying DEIA, whether you build it in your strategic plan or not, which I do think it should be fundamental in everything that you do. That's that's my stance on it because it helps us remember. I believe we focus on that sole individual purpose. It puts us back into saying, this is part of our work no matter what. The reason we have to focus on it is because we haven't spent the time to make sure we're dismantling those things that are impacting those who are trying to enter but can't or who have entered and don't feel as if though they belong. So I think we have to take a step back and say, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. I think the opportunity we have with DEI fatigue, um, DEI language polarization is we have an opportunity to change the narrative. So yes, we've gone through this whole piece of really a lot of advocacy and everything else, but now's not the time to slow down, but now's the time to say, how do we, how do we integrate this? How do we talk about this? How do we help members understand the importance of it, but how it's also part of everything that we do with, Sometimes the notion that the DEIA fatigue is because it just seems like that's all we talk about. So how do we talk about it a little differently? How do we help um, not tone down the conversation, but change the language where it's more focused on including every voice that's around? In any of those situations where we're using language where it feels like it's being polarized or people are pushing back, understanding their interests, understanding why they feel that way. A lot of times people are reacting against it because they feel like they're losing something. And a lot of it's they don't understand and they need to be educated that it's not about them losing something. It's about somebody else gaining access to something they never had before, which only puts them on par with somebody else. In my organization, I will say flat out, we've had this talk and people have said, or they have this belief that by making sure we provide opportunities for people who are in lower income areas where typically testing isn't done for students um, just because of the, the school districts or, or what have you, that we're wanting to lower the entrance requirements for these individuals. It's like, no, this is more of an access and accessibility standpoint than it is about us changing the nature because IQ isn't something that you get from genetics. It's just when you're born, how you're programmed. So there's a lot of understanding, like their fear was that we were devaluing something else um, that they held dear. It's like, no, we're not devaluing it. We're just creating opportunities for those who should have an opportunity to see if they qualify to provide them with that opportunity. So this is a time for leaders to take a step back and, and really listen and navigate the next part of this. Like this is a whole evolution process. It's not one and done. We have to help our boards understand that we still have to put um, efforts in place to continue moving this forward and that it's I don't even call it a marathon because a marathon still has an endpoint. This is just simple evolution that we have to keep involved in. Our organizations have gone through various other evolutions in the past. We think about technology and its impact on our associations over the last 20, 30 years. I mean, we went from everything had to be handwritten to phone calls to emails to now Slack messages and now it, AI is creating a lot of this social media. Like technology has impacted us, but it hasn't shut us down. We have to think about this in terms of human nature as well, that humans continue to evolve, their needs continue to evolve, and we have to figure out how to be a part of those conversations and serve those needs of our members in our organizations as we look at it. Otherwise, we're going to fail them, and we're going to fail the reason we exist to begin with. Well, and, and I, I want to kind of take what you were just saying, and I want to take it back to, you know, the commonality that we have in terms of our upbringing, right? The sense of community and realizing, you know, not, first of all, not every community is depending on how you're looking at the data or statistics as diverse as others. You know, I'm living in Washington, DC. I have access to a, a whole swath of, of people from all walks of life that other parts of the United States are just not going to have, but it's still, it's all about, you know, I think recognizing that there is still always an opportunity to improve things for where you are in community and that 
you know, when we see it that way, I think that that helps a lot more people be be more interested in doing certain work. You know, you get away from, like you were saying, certain language and labels that I think people are now just creating a different context for that are harder. But it's like, you know, let's let's just do some real community building and and see if there are people in our community that aren't able to, you know, really enjoy it. Right. And, and find ways to, to again to collaborate and 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 to work together. And I find that a lot of times, sometimes just bringing things down to to that kind of commonality level helps. It doesn't create that perfect solution, but it does allow you to kind of you know step out of some of these lanes that unfortunately are just too hot and divisive now, and and are are creating too much friction. Yes, absolutely, and that's where we as leaders need to develop the skills to, to navigate those conversations. And we, it's never going to be done and it's never going to be easy. But I think if we're stepping up to the plate in terms of leading associations, this is a conversation and a skill set we have to develop to be successful. Um, Cause whenever I look at what's going on out there, I tend to find myself wanting to talk to other association leaders who are struggling and dealing with the same things as opposed to those who aren't, because these are the people I want to continue to learn from because we're all navigating this together. Well, and I, and I also think you had, you, you mentioned this point a little bit earlier, but this is, you know, we just talk about the growing, the data, right? Just U S human, human data statistics about what we're going to look like as a, as a country, Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in, in working in the financial services industry, a, a, an industry that I will say, at least from a practitioner standpoint, does not necessarily look a lot like the face of of America. Right. Um, and and I think in a lot of respects, there are a lot of industries that have to come to terms with that and realize that you know. It, it it's kind of an industry imperative. It's a business imperative. It's a it's a cult. It's a it's imperative in a lot of ways that we won't be able to be as successful as we want to be collectively if we're not able to reach what is now the consuming public that has changed. Mm-hmm. It's just you know this is a this is a historical change that has happened, and you know if if you're not able to serve that public, that's that's a problem. You know, right. and, and so that part as well, I think, is a levelizer to some extent. You know, we talk a lot about in, uh, you know, my, my, my financial industry association groups. You know, if we represent Main Street America, it's going to be really hard if you don't look like Main Street America, because then you can't represent Main Street America. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think that, yeah, there's there's certainly ways to hopefully try to do some of this cognitive reframing and all that. But but, you know. This is this is certainly one of those times where I'm I'm very grateful for for leaders like you and, and the wonderful community that we have because you know this is certainly a lock arms kind of moment I think to mm-hmm. to keep going uh, because we know it's just it is about the journey right yes. like you were saying uh, that evolution and and being a part of that uh, is so essential and necessary. Um, all right, I wanted to ask you a few other things if we if we shift back maybe okay. a little bit more personal. Is one thing that you now that you know now that you wish you had known at the start of your career? There is nothing wrong with going slow, and I say like that, that because I I was I'm very Type A. I I am very competitive. I want to win. I want to achieve. And early in my career, my focus was. Succeed, 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 advance, advance, advance. And knowing what I know now, if I would have slowed down and appreciated that journey a little more, I think I would be an even better executive than I am today because I'm afraid of what I may have missed in that process. I I definitely retained a lot, but I think that there were opportunities there. And so there is nothing wrong with slowing down and enjoying the journey because it actually I think makes us better, and this, that's what I would would say. Oh, I like that. I really like that. Uh, and and yes, it's, it's somebody that also is is driven. And then neurodivergence. So not only am I driven, but I have a brain that's willing to blow everything up and start over. Which mm-hmm. then, when I go to conferences, I learn something new, and I come back with like twenty eight next best greatest ideas, and sit down with the rest of my team, and they're like, 
okay like yeah. let's <laughs> let's pause let's stop well yeah i get that that's that's good i really really like that really really like that all right any kind of final shout outs you want to make or or any pivotal things you want to share leadership thoughts oh um i don't i don't really i think one i brian i appreciate you having me on your podcast and, and having this opportunity to talk, I, you know, I always enjoy our conversations. No, no matter where we have them, whether it's here at an event, having a drink in the middle of the expo floor, no matter where it is, like I, I am always excited to just to connect with you and talk. Um, I think, you know, my shout out is just to everybody out there who's listening, who's in this field. I mean, we all do amazing work and, um, we don't celebrate that enough, um, nor do we talk about it. So opportunities like this to, I, I appreciate being able to share my thoughts and insights, but being able to do that with others and hear what others are doing, I think is, is extremely powerful. And um, I just, I hope that everybody who's out there, who's listening, um, just continues to remind themselves of that. And, you know, hopefully our paths will cross at some point in the, the near future. I like that. Yeah. And, and courage courage we're, we're we're all on this journey together and, yes. and we aren't alone and I'm, I'm that's why i am i'm grateful for you know friends like you and and so many others because uh it, it, it we we certainly need each other especially in when times are challenging and and you're right we got to celebrate together as well so absolutely that's great so how can people find you i know you're pretty findable online where should people look you up if they want to connect with you directly Oh, um, let's start with my LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me, I believe it's Trevor Mitchell, CAE on LinkedIn. Um, that's the best place to start, but um, and that's where you can find a lot about the stuff I'm doing. But, you know, if you look up Trevor Mitchell on Facebook or Instagram, you're going to find me there as well. So um, look there, but, you know, I'm usually at, a, at an ASAE or particularly a Texas Society event. So, um easily find me in any of those directories as well. Awesome. Well, my friend, yeah, so glad we could continue one of our many wonderful conversations. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims paying ability of the insurer. Brian Heaney is a registered representative and an investment advisory representative of Dempsey Lord Smith LLC. Dempsey Lord Smith LLC is not affiliated with the Haney Company. Securities offered through Dempsey Lord Smith LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Dempsey Lord Smith LLC, a U.S. SEC registered investment advisor.